Philippians chapter 1, and we're going through, and we can, uh, Philippians chapter 1, and we're going through a series on uh, the book of Philippians. And the theme that we've been using through all of this, and God willing, as we continue to move through it, will be partners in the gospel. Partners in the gospel. And we lift that from Philippians chapter 1, verse 5. And if you have a one of the newer modern versions, English versions of the Bible, um, yours will say partnership. But it says in Philippians 1.5, in my version here, for your that Paul thanks the church for their fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. And one of the words that we can translate from that Greek word from which fellowship is translated, which best translates it, is the word partnership. That we are partners in the gospel. So that everything that flows throughout the rest of the, of the book flows from that theme. Here's what it looks like. Here's what it means. And here's how people act who are partners in the gospel. And that's what we are. We're partners in the gospel as members of the body of Christ. Called out people. Moreover, and more in particular, called out to this very church in a partnership in the gospel. And we looked at the first few verses of the of the chapter. We went through last week, uh, verse 11. And now, God willing, this week we're going to move on into verse 12. Verses 12 through uh, verses 12 through 18. The title of this message is Partners in the Gospel, Not Setbacks, But Setups. Not Setbacks, But Setups. Okay? And we'll elaborate on that more in a minute. But as we read this uh, word, if you're physically able, in respect and reverence out of God's word, will you stand with me as we read from this passage that we're going to be going through today? Thank you so much. We're in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. The Apostle Paul writes to the Philippian church, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. That's the word of the living God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We thank you for the authority and the power and the revelation and the glory and the truthfulness and the alive nature of your word. God, we thank you that we're not reading some dusty book that's not relevant or doesn't have something to say to us today. We are indeed reading from a book that was penned by your hand, by working through men, moved upon through the power of your Holy Spirit. And we're reading transcendent truth that is true today. It was true yesterday. It was true throughout a time and eternity. And it always will be true. It always has been true. And it's wholly trustworthy. And I thank you for that, Lord, because it's trustworthy because it was written by a trustworthy God. Father, we thank you that we can look around and we try to give our word to others. And we try to be people of integrity. We like to know that a handshake and just what we say is enough because we're living in a day in which it's not. 
and we strive to be those kind of people. But yet, at our best day, our words cannot be fully trusted, but yet yours can. And we praise you for that. And Lord, we're asking you to wash us with the word today. We're so thankful with all the unrest and all the apparent quote-unquote confusion that's going on in the world. There is no confusion in heaven. That every rule and every power and every authority have this in common. They were set up by you and they will come down by you at your discretion and that you will have the final say. We're so grateful, Lord, that you spoke to your son and said, Sit thou in my right hand until thy enemies are made your footstool. And Lord, we know that's in the process of happening even right now. Lord, we're thankful. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem because we know that that one day it will occur because one day the one who has the right to sit on the throne of David, the one to whom that throne belongs, Jesus Christ the righteous will indeed sit there and will rule and reign and we, your people, will be with you in righteous rule and an eternal reign that will have no end. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And so, Lord, I pray you'll take this word today and open up our hearts and open up our ears and our understanding and embed it deep within so that we catch what you intend for us to catch today, that you would speak to us through your holy word. I can't do a thing, but your word can. And God, we're not here to hear from me, but we are here to hear from you. And so, Father, speak, Lord, for your children, your servants are listening. And we ask this in the sweet and the precious and sufficient name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. We're looking at this, and we're going through again with the theme, Partners in the Gospel. We're looking at this, and also mindful of the fact as we go through it, that this is a book of joy. The Philippians, we talked about time and again, and you'll not hear the end of this, God willing. But the words rejoicing and joy and glad are used repeatedly in this, uh, these four short chapters some 19 times. And we know that the reason that those words are used some 19 times is because there's another word in here that's used some 40 times. You remember what that word is? Jesus. Jesus is used 40 times in here. So the rejoicing and the joy that comes from it being reused repeatedly is based upon the fact that Jesus Christ is the source of all of that. As you'll recall, the Apostle Paul is writing back to this church. He's under arrest in a Roman guard in Rome. His journey there, we're going to go over in a moment and how he got there. But here he is being chained to a palace guard. They come in at six-hour shifts and take turns, and they're chained to the Apostle Paul. And there he is having a captive audience, literally, to be able to share the gospel with those who are chained up with him. And rather than being down in the dumps, and rather than being woe is me and having the pity party after over, 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 the Apostle Paul comes and here's what he says. This is his take on it. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. And he takes in the end of this passage and says, I, my conclusion is, I rejoice over that. I rejoice over that because everything that's happened to me has advanced the gospel. Before we get into the meat and the potatoes of this, let me ask you this. Let me just say this to you. This is an obvious statement, but it needs to be reiterated. The gospel must be important. The gospel must be important because what he's saying is, is no matter the amount of suffering and pain or confusion or any kind of derailment in my plans that happen, 
praise God, the gospel is advancing because there's no other cause on the face of this earth that's worth advancing except the gospel. It, the gospel must be important, and we know it is. Now, as we go through this, I want you to look at the adversity. That's how we're going to outline this passage, God willing. I don't know that we're going to get through all of it today, but I want you to look at the adversity. I want you to look at the advancement, which we, we just talked about. I want you to look at the attitude of the Apostle Paul. I want us to see the effect. I want us to see the applause. And I want us to see the announcement. And we'll hit on each one of these as we go through. First of all, the adversity. Just as we read, he said, I want you to know, brethren, that the things that have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. I want to give you some news. This will come as no surprise to you. Some of you are in the middle of it right now. When you repent toward God and put your faith in Jesus Christ. No matter what the prosperity pundits say, and no matter who, who wants to pervert this word and make it something different than it is, you get enrolled in tribulation tech. You get enrolled in the university of adversity. Now, whether you like it or not, and whether you made application for it, that's what happened. When you got saved, you got enrolled in, in tribulation tech and into the University of Adversity, and God wants to give you a Ph.D. in it. Because it is through that process of tribulation that God strips us of our dependency upon ourselves and leaves us nothing with but dependency upon Him. It's how we know what the, 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 the core of true praise is. And when praise is at its best, is when your circumstance call for it at its least. It is easy to praise God when everything is falling in line. It's easy to lift Him up and say hallelujah and raise holy hands to Him and just say praise the Lord, brother, when things are going well. But when praise is at its purest and when it's at its best and you know that it comes from the bowels of truth and it comes from something that wells up inside you that's predicated upon truth and the love He has for you and the love that you have for Him in return, it's when it's expressed when there's no good circumstances circumstantial reason to call for it. And that's what the Apostle Paul was going through. He was going through adversity. He was enrolled in the University of Adversity. The apparent setbacks are nothing but setups. That's the title of the message. What, what looked like a setback was a setup. Here's the thing about God. And you know what? The older I get, especially in light of my children and the thoughts of your children and the ones that you're that, that they're under your care, the ones that are under watch care of this earth. Let me tell you something right now. There's an attribute of God that daily, daily becomes more precious to me. You know what that is? That He's sovereign. That He's sovereign. That God's in control. Hallelujah! Hallelujah for that. When things are seeming to spin out of control, and when there's confusion around, God's very much in control. The Bible says in Ephesians that God works all things according to the counsel of His will. Everything that's going on is ultimately marshaled in and under the control and the charge and the future of a God who is sovereign. And so we're... Whatever it seems to be a setback in your life, if you look through the eyes of faith and you embrace your partnership in the gospel, you'll see, and you begin to see through the lens of faith, it's not a setback, it's a setup. Now, let's look at the Apostle Paul's life. And children, listen, gather around. This is a pretty cool narrative. Listen, this is really cool. 
You can't find a book on the shelf in the library that's any cooler than this or or, or give you any more of a storyline than this one. I want you to listen to this storyline. Listen to this. We're going through and we're going to take a trip through Acts chapter 21. And maybe when you get back with your parents, maybe you guys want to go over this narrative together and read what happened to the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 21. But it goes from Acts chapter 21 to Acts chapter 28. And Acts chapter 28 is the last chapter in the book of Acts. Okay, and he starts out in Acts chapter 21. And the Bible says he had just come from Ephesus. Now, this was a church that he had founded. And he loved them so much. As a matter of fact, the Bible says... That when he left, that they fell on his neck and kissed him. Because they figured that that was probably the last time they were ever going to see him. There's such an affection that you see in the Paul and the affection he has for the churches. And he meets with the Ephesian elders in chapter 20. And they have this final greeting and they think we're probably never going to see him again. And so they have this, this emotional, emotional time. And then God lays upon his heart to go to Jerusalem. Well, before he goes to Jerusalem, a prophet is raised up to speak to him. And the prophet takes a belt and puts it around him and ties himself up. And he says, listen, this is going to happen to the man who goes to Jerusalem. This is going to happen to you. You're going to be bound up and tied up. And you're going to be put in jeopardy. Your life is going to be in jeopardy if you go to Jerusalem. Well, you know what the Apostle Paul said? He didn't say, oh, well, I guess I better not go. No, he said, listen, you're breaking my heart by saying that to me. Because I'm not willing not only to go to Jerusalem, but I'm willing to give up my life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what does the Apostle Paul do? What do you expect him to do? What do you think he'd do? You think he can run chicken? No. He decided, listen, I'm going, to go to the, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. That's where I'm called to do. So he winds up going to Jerusalem. Well, here's what happens. Word gets out he's there. The pastor of the church in Jerusalem, his name was James, the Lord's half-brother. Okay, one of the half-brothers of the Lord. The guy that wrote the book of James. He's the pastor of the church at Jerusalem, and he says, listen, words got out that you've abandoned your, your Gentile roots, I mean your Jewish roots, and that you're dismissing the law, and you're saying it's no longer, no longer applicable, and it's really caused a controversy. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go into the temple, and I want you to go in there, and I want you to go in there with four other guys who have taken the Nazarite vow. Uh, and these guys have taken a vow for, to consecrate themselves, to give themselves over fully into full surrender to God. That's what that vow was. He said, I want you to go in there with them and pay for their vow. There's a temple price that had to be paid in order to affect that vow. And I want you to go in there and be purified with them and go through some ceremonial things. And by doing that, you'll show to all the Jewish people who think you've abandoned your Jewish roots that you really haven't. Well... He, do, he complies with their request. And so he submits to their authority. He puts his apostolic authority under their pastoral authority. Another sermon. Okay. And then he says, okay, I'll go in there. Well, when he goes in there, listen what happens. You think everything's going to go great. He's right in the middle of God's will. God told him to go to Jerusalem. And everything's just going to work out fine. Well, you know what happens? A mob breaks out against him and starts falsely accusing him of, of abandoning the law, of, of, of talking and speaking against the temple. And they accuse him of defiling the temple because they say that he falsely said that he brought in a couple of Gentiles in there. And there was a Gentile court that the Gentiles couldn't go beyond. And if you go beyond that court, there you defile the temple as a Gentile. 
And he said, oh, no, he's brought Gentiles in and he's messed up this whole place. So a mob breaks out, an angry mob breaks out against him. And we know from verse 21, they sought to kill him and they were beating him. And what happened was, is a Roman guard came and put down the attack and bound him with chains and took him into their custody. Had the Roman guard not come in there. Now, this is the thing. When he says, the things that have happened to me have turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, these are the things he's talking about. So he goes in there and that's what happens. Mob rule breaks out. The Romans of all people save him from it. They take him into their custody. And then in Acts chapter 22, you know what he winds up getting to do? They take him to a porch and the Jewish accusers are still around there and the Romans are still protecting him. And you know what he winds up getting to happen? You know what winds up happening to him? He gets to give his testimony. And they listened to his testimony about how Jesus Christ had changed his life. And this guy who had decided that he was going to stamp out Christianity and have Christians killed was given his testimony in front of his Jewish accusers giving claim to the gospel of Jesus Christ. What seemed to be a setback was a setup. You see it? It was a setup. He gave his testimony. They listened until they got to the point where he said that God had called me to carry the gospel to the Gentiles. And that did it. That was the straw that broke the camel's back. No, 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 no. The gospel is not for those nasty Gentile people. Aren't you glad that's not true? Amen. And so they, took, they listened to it and they couldn't take it after that. So then they renewed their calls for his death. Well, the Roman guard captures him again, or, or they've got him in his custody, and what they do is, is they just beat him. They beat him, they scourge him for really no reason, and you know what stopped them? They stopped their beating. Now see here, he's in the middle of God's will. He's not being beaten because he's outside God's will. He's, in the, he's being beaten because he's in the middle of God's will. Christians, sometimes, regardless of the adversity you're going through, let me tell you something right now. Don't let it cast doubt on God's love. The adversity you're going through, if you're in God's will, is evidence of God's love. And you'll see that more in a minute. So the Roman guards beating him up. This is the trouble he gets into. And so what happens was, it stops when they learn that he's a Roman citizen. Oh! Hands off! Because we haven't processed him for due process of the law. They actually had due process of the law for Roman citizens. And so they had to stop. And they said, no, 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 no. We've not yet put him on trial. We've, heard from, we've not heard from his accusers. Hey, man, we're prosecuting this guy without a trial. And we're going to get in lots of trouble because he's a Roman citizen. And so they stop. Okay, well then, well, let's move on then, Trevor. And we go to Acts chapter 23. Here's what winds up happening. In the middle of this narrative, the Roman commander wanted to know. He said, well, you know what? Why is it that you're being accused by the Jews? Because I can't find anything wrong with you. I don't see anything that you've done. I've, we've looked at you. We've listened to the claims. We've heard part of them. We've heard your testimony. But I don't really know why they're so mad at you. So what he does was he, gets, he, brought, he brings him before the chief priests and this fancy council, have you ever heard of them, called the Sanhedrin. The religious guys of the day. You ever heard of that, Gabby? And it's the Sanhedrin. It's the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Okay, And they're, they're, they're together, comprised of this council. Sadducees and Pharisees making up the Sanhedrin. Okay, And so they're, they're in front of them here. And yet again, he gets to give his testimony. And he starts talking to them about Jesus. And he starts talking to them about the resurrection. 
Well, there it went. A division broke out over the resurrection from the dead because the Sadducees do not believe that there's a resurrection. That's why they're called Sadducees. If you don't believe in the resurrection, then you're sad, you see. Amen? And so therefore, they didn't believe in the resurrection, and so the commander took him. Listen, what, what, I'm going to tell you, listen to the level of division and controversy this guy caused. Listen to this. I, you don't have to look there, but in, in Acts 23.10, it says the commander, after this division had broke out, went to him and took him into custody for fear, this is literally what the Bible says, that the crowd might pull him to pieces. That's the level of anger that was leveled. His countrymen, they were so mad at him that the commander of the Roman guard, the centurion commander, said, you know what? This is so angry. I can see such anger and angst in their face. I'm afraid they're going to pull him, pull him to pieces. And so what happens was, okay, then, what happens after that? Oh, man. Oh, man. It's one of the best parts of the story. Listen to this. You won't find a one. You can't find a story like this. Listen to this story. This is one of the best parts. Then in, 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 it happens in, in, in Acts chapter 23, verse 11. It says, The following night after all this happened, the Apostle Paul said, The Lord stood by him. And he said, Be of good cheer, Paul. For as you have testified for me in, for me in Jerusalem, you must also... Witness at Rome. See, in the middle of it, when you're in the middle of God's will, and you're doing what God's called you to do, let me tell you the greatest promise in God's Word. You won't find a promise that says there won't be problems. They're not there. I don't care what anybody says, you won't find it. But you will find one promise after the other that says the Lord will be with you. And I'm going to tell you something right now. If the Lord is for you, who can be against you? Could you imagine the most encouraging thing that God could have done in the middle of all of that? His countrymen that Paul later on said in Romans chapter 9 that he would be willing to go to hell for. He was so broken hearted of their rejection of the gospel. The apostle Paul said that. He loved them that much. They had turned their back on him. They were so angry at him they wanted to tear him to pieces. And on the eve of all of that, the Bible says the Lord stood right beside me. And he said, Paul, I want you to know something, son. You've testified for me in Jerusalem, and you're going to go to Rome. I.e., you are going to live. I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to deliver you from any enemy that rises up his head against you. What an encouragement. Now listen, kids, watch this. It goes on. The next day, listen to this. Listen to this, y'all. Heads up. The next day, more than 40 Jews, more than 40 Jews formed a conspiracy. These are the things he's talking about that happened to him in Philippians. The things that happened to me have turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. 40 Jews formed a conspiracy, and here was their conspiracy. They conspired not to eat or drink anything until they had killed him. How would you like to know that 40 people had gathered together in a covenant agreement that said, here's the deal. We're not going to eat or drink until we see that you're dead. Wow. This is what happened. The plot 
to have him come back. This was the plot. Bring him back from the Roman arrest, have him come back to the council, and while he's on the way, under the guise of further inquiry, we want to ask you some more questions. We want to lure you into a trap, and under the guise of further inquiry, we will kill him on the way. You know what happens? This is a little insight we get in the Bible from Paul's family. Hardly none there. But you know what happens? Paul's sister's son hears about it. Paul's nephew. God raised up Paul's nephew and put him in a position to hear about the conspiracy. He goes and tells and gets word to Paul that this is going on. And Paul says, go back and tell the Roman commander. He goes back and tells the Roman commander, the nephew does. And let me tell you what God does. In the middle of the night, he uses the Roman commander to ship him out. And they're going to go to Caesarea. And so they move from Jerusalem to Caesarea. And he's accompanied by, good, not alive. Listen to this. 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 Roman spearmen accompany him on his trip to Caesarea because when God's got his hand on you, nobody can mess with you. Amen? No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which rises up against you in judgment, you shall condemn. For this is his heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is for me, thus saith the Lord. Hallelujah! 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 God gets the final say. And so accompanied by all of those Roman protectors, 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, 200 spearmen. He makes his way to Caesarea where he's going to be put in front of Felix the governor. All that protection. Not from God, from God, but using the enemy. Wow. Our God reigns. Acts chapter 24. He comes uh, before his accusers. His accusers make their way to Caesarea because they've got to be in front of everybody to do that. Five days later that happens. Ananias the high priest with all the elders and all the pomp and circumstance of all the religious guys going in there to judge him. And what's, what's happened? Listen what happens right here. Watch this. Before Felix he gave his defense. What was his defense? It was defense was the gospel. The things that happened to me have turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. The things that happened to me have turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. That's what he's talking about in Philippians. So he gets before Felix. He gives a defense. He sends him away. Calls him back. Felix and his wife, Drusilla, who is Jewish, call him back. And listen what it says in Acts 24.24. It says, They heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And the Bible says, over the course of the last next several weeks, they called him back repeatedly. And he every time got in front of him and told them more about Jesus. The things that have happened to me have turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Now Felix brought him back because he was hoping he would bribe him. So he kept getting in front of him hoping that he would bribe Felix to let him go. That was his motivation. But nonetheless, it doesn't matter. He heard the gospel. The things that happened to him happened for the furtherance the advancement of the gospel. Well, two years of this went on, and then he winds up being in front of Festus because Festus replaces Felix. They got a new governor. And they're thinking, okay, he left Paul bound. Felix did. He left Paul bound as a political move in order to appease and satisfy the Jews because his rule with them was waning away. And so he kept him in custody for no reason. As far as he was concerned, there wasn't. And then Acts chapter 25, it says Festus went to Jerusalem when he first took over. We got Festus coming in after Felix. Festus, Festus, Gunsmoke. Y'all remember that? He was one of my favorite characters, Mr. Sharp. You remember him? Festus from Gunsmoke. 
Okay, and so Festus went to Jerusalem first before he took his post at Caesarea. Okay, when he got there, the high priest met with him and they said, Listen, get Paul to come up here to Jerusalem transfer him from Caesarea and get him to come up here to Jerusalem and that way we can accuse him in front of you right now we'll get all this done. You know how they did that? They did that because en route from Caesarea to Jerusalem, you know what their plan was? Their plan was to kill him. Well, the apostle, the God moved on Festus's heart, Festus's heart and said, no, I'm going to go back to Caesarea and you can follow with me later when you get ready and we'll put him on trial again. And so that's what happened. Festus refused. He went back to Caesarea. And shortly after that, his accusers came there. And when they did, Festus then tried to talk him into going to Jerusalem for political reasons. They were trying to court the favor of the people. And then in Acts chapter 25, 11, Acts chapter 25, verse 11, he makes an appeal to Caesar. He says, you know what? Here's the deal. None of the charges have held up. None, you've not been able to make anything stick. The witnesses are in confusion. Sounds like what it was like when they brought our Lord on trial. He says, so everybody's in confusion, and you can't put your story together, and so I want to appeal my case to Caesar. He had a right to do that as a Roman citizen. And they said, well, okay, they're going to have to, he had to exercise his rights, and they had to give them to him. And they said, okay, so he made an appeal to Caesar. Now, while he's there under the custody of Festus, okay, King Agrippa, comes along with his sister Bernice who had an, who he had a sinful relationship with. He's one of the Herods. He's one of the heritage of the Herods. As a matter of fact, King Agrippa's great uncle was the Herod that was around during the Gospels. And King Agrippa's great grandfather was the Herod that was around during Jesus' birth when he had all the children two years of age and younger killed. That was at the bidding of his great grandfather. So this wicked man who came from a family who gives a brand new meaning to the word dysfunctional is standing there in front. Paul, this frail disciple, this frail apostle is standing in front of King Agrippa. And King Agrippa in Acts 26, 1, listen to this. The things that have happened to me have turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. In Acts 26, 1, he says to him, Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. And the following dialogue is one of the most beautiful accounts of the testimony of Paul from his own mouth in all of Scripture. The things that have happened to me have turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. See, partners know that. You can be a Christian and not be a partner. Or you can be a Christian and not be recognized in your partnership. You can be a Christian and let your circumstances so overwhelm you that you'll miss what God wants to do to advance the gospel through them. They can weigh so heavy upon you, you can lose sight of a calling. You can lose sight of a sovereign God who's over what's going on, who's fully aware and still loves you and is permitting what goes on because He intends to further the gospel. Now you can either get plugged into that or you can have a pity party and miss it. One or the other. So He said, okay, it's going to turn out for the furtherance of the gospel because the gospel is important. You know what he tells him? After his testimony in Acts chapter 26, verse 28, King Agrippa says to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. You almost persuade me to become a Christian. We don't know what happened after that. But I can tell you this, the seed was thrown out there. And he heard from the Apostle Paul, who was once a persecutor of the church and who is now a follower of Christ, he heard his testimony. 
remember this verse, if you, if you will. And it's not necessary to look at that right now. But maybe if you have something you could write down to maybe go look at this later, this would be a good verse to write down. Just to go look back at this narrative. And it's Acts chapter 26 and it's verse 32. It's Acts 26, 32. Now, this verse is King Agrippa speaking to Festus after having heard the testimony of the Apostle Paul. This is what he says to him. King Agrippa speaking to Festus about Paul, Dan, who's still in Roman custody. It says this, This man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Did you hear that? This man might have been set free had he not appealed to Caesar. His ongoing custody in the Roman guard was of his own doing. And it was an obedient response to the call of God to bear witness to the gospel in Rome. You know what the temptation is? When the pressure mounts, the temptation is this. Hear, hear me now, listen. The temptation is this. The Bible says that tribulations, tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance produces proven character. And proven character leads to hope. And the temptation is for us when the pressure mounts, that word perseverance means not to wiggle out from under something. And the temptation for us is we want to wiggle out under the circumstances because we lose sight of the fact that God's not really interested in changing the circumstance, but God's really interested in changing me. And patient endurance under trial is where victorious Christian living comes from. There's no other way, but that is where it comes from. And the Apostle Paul chose to patiently endure because what happened? When the Lord stood with him, what did he say to him? You're not only going to bear witness to me in Jerusalem, but you're also going to bear witness to me in Rome. And the Apostle Paul said, Aha, I appeal to Caesar and I get to Rome. That's where I'll get there. And had he not done that, he'd probably be released from custody and living a life lesser than what God called him to live. We've got to get God's perspective on things rather than looking at things from our perspective. He could have been released. All right, now it goes on. In Acts chapter 27, they set sail for Italy because they got to go to Italy. He's going to Rome. What happens? A storm comes, naturally, one after the other, and there's no loss of the life. The, the, the Bible says that he's told that there'll be no loss of life, but you will lose the ship. In Acts chapter 27, verse 23, listen to this part of the story. For there... This is the Apostle Paul. He's on, a, he's on a penal ship. He is with nothing but prisoners. He's with a whole boatload full of prisoners with Roman guards on his way to Rome to give a defense for his very life. And there he is with all of them. And here's what God does again. Right in the middle of all that, Joseph. Right in the middle of all that, God visits him again. And he says, For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. So he's saying, Paul, 
right at, the, right at the ebb and flow of when he most needed it, it had to be a point of great discouragement. Here he is. Storm breaks out. He's like, here we go again. Another setback. No, it was a setup. And the Lord stood with him. An angel of the Lord comes and speaks to him and he says, listen, Paul, you're going to go to Caesar. And those remarks are prefaced by the secret that Paul lived under. And here was the secret, Al. He said, this night I was visited to the Lord whom I belong and I serve. See, the apostle knew that. My life is not my own. The choice to go to Caesarea, the choice and, and your sovereign will for me to go to Rome was not my call to make. I don't get a vote. Only God gets a vote because I belong to Him and because I belong to Him, I serve Him. Amen? I'm a partner in the gospel. He said, not only are you going to be spared, but everybody who sails with you. And He told them all of that. He said, listen, God spoke to me. And they were encouraged by that. The Bible says in verse 37. You know how many sailors, how many people were sailing with him? 276. Here we go again. The things that happened to me have turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. 276 prisoners get to hear the gospel. The ship runs aground because God told them it would. It started to break up into pieces just like God said it would. And what happens is they're near an island and they have to swim to the island and the soldiers conspire and say the Roman soldiers said let's kill all the prisoners. We might as well just kill them because if, if, if they get out of this boat they'll scramble everywhere. We will not be able to gather them back around. They're going to go all over the place so let's just kill them. Do you know why they spared them? The centurion soldier, the leader of all the soldiers, the big shot, said this. We're going to spare every one of their lives because of the Apostle Paul. You know what? When you're walking in the power and work and witness of the Holy Spirit, not only does God bless your life, but He blesses people around you. Every one of those prisoners' lives were spared because of the Apostle Paul. And so they all, the Bible says in Acts 27.44, they all escaped safely to land. The things that happened to me have turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. And so what happens now? Kids, you ought to go read this one because it involves snakes. Do y'all like snakes? I don't. Do you like them? You know, Hannah, I don't, you, you know, we're repulsed by them. Some people might like them. I don't like them. I don't appreciate them. The only kind I appreciate are dead. Amen? See there? Beth's got his name in back there. Here's what happens. You may see that God's got story. He's got a snake in this story. And so they wind up running aground in an island called Malta. Malta is where they are. The Apostle Paul, listen, and you would think, here we go, I'm in the middle of God's will, I'm shipwrecked so far, I'm under Roman custody, could have got out of it had I not appealed, based on God's instruction for his life. I could have been out of Roman custody, not only still in custody, not only as mob rule, not only people conspiring to kill me, now of all things, and this is what I would have said, I know me well enough, and I know what a gooberhead I am most of the time, and I'm telling you, at least at this point, and way before I would have said this, God, how much more? What do you expect of me? Because you know what winds up happening? They're gathering sticks for the fire, a snake, a poisonous snake, comes out of the sticks and bites Paul on the hand. And not only bites him on the hand, he's hanging on his hand. So he's standing there with a snake hanging on his hand. And it's a poisonous snake. And the reason we know it's a poisonous snake is because the islanders were waiting for him to die. They were watching like, you die, you die. And this is what they thought. This, at first they said he's going to die because he really is a criminal. 
he, God, one of the gods, is punishing him. So he's got this stank hand off of him. He has to shake it off of him. Wouldn't you be going, God, come on. Don't we often do that? Lord, what are you up to? Check in with you. God, who do you? The Lord was right in the middle of all of it. You know what happened? Then they changed their mind because no harm came to him. And they thought, ah, he must be a god. Can you just see it? They're probably going, Paul, Paul. You know. One of the leading citizens in the country. How about this is cool, Gary. Watch this. One of the leading citizens in the country had a big estate. And his father took sick. And the Apostle Paul went to see his father. Healed him. God healed him through the Apostle Paul. And the Bible says that everybody else on the island who had diseases came to the Apostle Paul and every one of them were healed. The things that have happened to me have turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. You think you can beat God? You think you can outsmart God? Listen, don't live a puny life. Driven and tossed into and fro by your circumstances. Look up and see the transcendent God of the universe and say, God, what do you have in all of this? Where are you working in all of this? What are you doing? How do you want to work through my life and my circumstance and my change plan and my unmet expectations? How do you want to work through all of that to advance the gospel of your blessed Son? That's the question. The Bible says they made provisions for him on the island. And then it says that the Apostle Paul finally whew, made it to Rome. Gabby, he made it to Rome. Just like God said he would. And so when he got to Rome, it says he said he, he got out of the ship and there were Christian, Roman Christians there to greet him. Probably the Christians, I haven't looked this up and done the research, but maybe even the recipients of the letter to Rome. That he wrote to him. And it says, when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. And it was great encouragement. Acts 28, 15. But the body of Christ, they were encouraging him. You know what happened? He called for the leaders of the Jews in that city who were not yet Christians. He told them in Acts 28, 20. He said, because for the hope of Israel, I am bound for these chains. Wouldn't you like to get to the point, and I like to get to the point, where we're living such spirit-filled lives that we say, you know what? It's because of the hope that lies in the gospel of Jesus Christ this happened to me. That's why that happened to me. God's working redemptively through my life. He's claimed me. But there are yet others to be claimed through me, through my witness and my testimony. You know what happened? They said, this is their response to him, Michael. They said, we desire to hear from you what you think concerning this sect. That's what they call Christianity. Because we know it is spoken against everywhere. And in Acts 28, verses 23 and 24, Paul gives them his testimony concerning Christ. He shares the gospel with them, with Jews in Rome. Okay, then he gets to make an appeal and now he's under house arrest and he's going to see Caesar, the leader of the known world at that time. And guess what he's going to do? You think he's going to get up and say, I'm not guilty and I'm mad at my Jewish people. Send a nuclear bomb over there and wipe them out. 
He's going to get up there and say, forget about me. I'm standing here to declare to you that the God of this universe, the law and the prophets predicted His coming, and He did indeed come through His Son, Jesus Christ. He was nailed to the cross of Calvary. Three days later, He rose again, and He paid for the sins of mankind. And if you'll repent and own up to the fact that you're a sinner and humble yourself before Him and trust Him as your Savior, He will wipe your sins away and save you forever. That's why I'm standing in this court. And this was predicted all along. God's sovereign through every bit of this. I know we're going long. But listen to me. God's sovereign through every bit of this. In Acts chapter 9, verses 15 and 16, you don't have to look it up. But Joshua, let me read it to you. Joseph and Joshua. Let me read it to you. You hear it? When he was first saved, what road was he saved on? Do you remember that? Apostle Paul. Damascus Road. God meets him on the Damascus Road. In the aftermath, he calls up Ananias, a Christian, to minister to Paul. And Ananias is understandably nervous about that. And he speaks to Ananias, and he says, listen to me. Here, here, listen to me. Let me tell you about this man I'm just, I just claimed. Let me tell you something about him. I want you to go minister to him. Listen. This is when Paul just got saved, Al. This is when he just got saved. I want you to listen. I want you to go and minister to him, Ananias, because he's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name, to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Up top, it wasn't Paul. You follow me and there's a Mercedes in for, for you. You follow me and there's a Rolls Royce. You follow me and you'll never get sick. You follow me and you'll never have adversity. No, he said, I'm going to show him up front the things he must suffer because in doing that, I'm going to put him before Gentiles. Did you see it, Gabby? He went before Gentiles. I'm going to put, going to put him before the Jews. Do you see it? He was, went before the Jewish people. And I'm going to put him before kings. Festus, Felix, and who? Ultimately, Caesar. God's in charge. God's in charge. If you let that latch on to you and let that... If we come into agreement with that as partners in the gospel, then it changes every perspective we have about our circumstances. Then they become something totally different. And it no longer comes about us. It's no longer about us. I'm taken care of. You're taken care of. Nancy just celebrated. We can rest in the fact that the finished work of Christ is our comfort and our peace. There's not work yet to be done. He's already done it. So when He comes back, there's not anything left to be done. He did it on the cross of Calvary. Hallelujah! 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 But we as Christians have got a message and a Savior to represent and a gospel to share because there's work yet to be done and countless thousands are around you every single day. Amen? Let's find out. Let's don't live puny lives. We're about to do something great. Get your mind off the fact that it's 12 o'clock. I would normally apologize for that, because I'm, but I'm not going to. Because here's the deal. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. That's what we came and planned here to do here before. And I'm going to tell you this. Here's the deal. We're about to take the Lord's Supper, but can I encourage you that when we take the Lord's Supper, let's don't go through a routine and say, well, you know, here's the deal, and let's, let's don't go through that. I'm not accusing you of doing that, but please don't do it. And I'm saying this to me. Let's don't do that as just something to endure. 
let's let's do that. Let's let's come to the Lord's table and say this is the gospel that God shed, crushed his the body of his precious son and spilled his blood on Calvary's tree and has made me a part. I'm included. This is communion. I'm identified with that. He's my hope. He's my everything. And Jesus said, then go out and take that hope to the hopeless. If you're a partner in the gospel, it doesn't matter what happens to you. It will work out for the furtherance of the gospel. Hallelujah.